The CNBC app, global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts and market insights all in your hands. Stay connected, stay informed. Download the CNBC app today. A very warm welcome, everybody. This is Squawk Box, and these are your headlines. OPEC Plus reportedly considering cutting output by up to 2 million barrels per day as the group prepares to hold its first in-person meeting in more than two years. Well, the S&P 500 sees its best two-day gain in more than two years as softer economic data stirs hopes for less aggressive Fed tightening. Well, who'd have thought it, eh? Certainly not me, that's for sure. Elon Musk seems to end his bitter feud with Twitter. Well, we'll see about that bit as well. But he's agreed now, apparently, to purchase the social media giant at the original, yep, the original $44 billion price tag. Uh, and likely avoid a contentious trial later this month. We'll discuss this in a few moments' time. Uh, plus, HSBC shares hitting a 20-month high in Hong Kong after lender confirms reports it is considering a sale of its Canadian business. And UK Prime Minister Liz Truss faces a fresh backlash after refusing to commit to increasing welfare benefits in line with inflation, triggering further division within her cabinet. There will be discussions about the way forward on commitments like benefits on how we deal with future budgets. But I'm very clear that going into this winter, we do need to help the most vulnerable. Look at this, well done graphics team. It's got barrels of oil, it's got the OPEC plus, and it's also got this, this is the most important bit. First in-person meeting since 2020 because, and, and as I discussed with you a couple of weeks ago, maybe a few weeks ago, I think there's not, all not well amongst the producers. Yes, OPEC and its allies are reportedly considering an output cut of up to 2 million barrels per day. That is twice the amount already speculated just earlier this week. Key players, Saudi and Russia, are the main backers of a large cut, apparently, uh, according to multiple reports. Now, if enacted, a 2 million barrel per day cut would be the largest we've seen since 2020. So look, you've heard me banging on about this uh, a few weeks ago, and and the signal was there, and it was there when you listened to it from one man, and I would say there's only two people here you need to listen to about this, and one of them less important than the other. Now, Alexander Novak, He's been his deputy uh, leader, of course, a prime minister over I- I- in Russia, but he's also stunningly influential. But the man I think who is even more influential is His Royal Highness uh, Abdulaziz bin Salman, right? Half-brother of uh, Mohammed bin Salman, the crown prince as well. And a couple of weeks ago, you may have heard me saying, because <laughs> I do tend to repeat myself, don't I? That actually, when we're at $100 a barrel and he's talking about a small cut to production, that is the man you should listen to rather than all the other noise in the oil market. And it got me thinking about all is not well, about who's trying to sell which barrels and who they're trying to sell them to. So look at this. We've just had potentially an enormous cut announced, okay? And I say potentially because, of course, it's still speculation. And they've only managed to get the oil price back up to 92 bucks. In fact, it's just come off a little bit from that as well. Yeah? So what's going on? Well, shall I do the next read or we kind of carry on? I'll I'll carry on and chat. Okay, to the guys. So, team, um, 
I know we're going to speak to our, our, our oil team at some stage about this as well. But, but just from experience, that was the alarm bell for me. When you've got the most powerful man in oil, Abdulaziz bin Salman, the, the Saudi energy minister, saying we need to think about cuts. That for me was like a, a red light. And, and I remember saying to you both about this because it's not just about that price. It's not just about 92 bucks. Because, in fact, 92 bucks is just a marker. It's mm. not what the Russians are selling their oil at. The Russians are selling it at up to a 20% discount to the Indians, to the Chinese. And herein lies the problem. As much as OPEC leaves the politics at the door, we keep hearing it, the fact of the matter is, inside, they're, like, they're probably all saying to each other, hang on a second, we're the ones who have been selling traditionally to China. That's our market to India. And now you're coming in and selling it at a 20% discount. I know you can't sell it to the Europeans at the moment with their strange uh, price cap on the demand side things and how they're going to work that one, I don't know. Mm. But we've got a recession coming, potentially. We've got an economic slowdown, potentially, coming. And you guys are trying to eat our lunch over in China. You guys are trying to eat our lunch over in India as well. And that said to me, all is not well. And by the way, that is not verbatim what they say inside the meeting right. as well. Okay. They may say something slightly different. But, yeah. but that's kind of what I have interpreted this as yeah. for a few weeks. I'll make one more comment, can I, before you two come in. And I promise I'll try and shut up afterwards. But you know I find that very difficult. A couple of weeks ago, yeah? And I've heard this a lot over the last couple of years. Mm. Oil could soar to $150 a barrel as demand still outpaces supply, says JP Morgan Strategies. We know it's our good friend Christian as well. That's because companies aren't investing enough in future production, which promises a major supply deficit. We can't rely on other producers such as OPEC to fill the gap as well. All due respect, we've gone from a, a demand outpacing supply by a long shot to suddenly we need to cut 2 million barrels. Got that one a little bit wrong at the moment, JP, my old friends. You've put it on the tee for us. I think you've set up what is a, a stunning meeting today, back in person for the first time in two years. Oh, so they'll all be there. The major the players back in the room. They'll all be there. Exactly. But you've got this tug of war, don't you, between energy security for some countries, wanting to ensure the price remains reasonable at this point, but also what are we seeing around the corner in terms of a downturn? I mean, central <laughs> banks are not talking from that page just yet. They're concerned about the demand still in the system. They want to take prices out uh, and make sure that they're lower. We're not facing the spiral in prices broadly across the economy. Yet OPEC is worried about one of the biggest price inputs here, that it's too low. It's the opposite of what central banks uh, are really concerned about here. So I think they might be further ahead of central banks, but selling the message today with the price cut could come across as highly political. We, we were talking about it yesterday, the tug of war between Moscow at one point wanting higher prices, the tug of war of the United States wanting lower prices coming up to the midterms. And already we've seen gas prices start to rise at the pump in the United States. So if we do get this increase today, what type of increase is it? Is it one that is uh, purely uh, a price-driven one because you've got the 3 million barrels taken out that are already taken out because people are underproducing, those OPEC producers are underproducing? Or is it truly a cut of 1 million taken off the table because you're trying to really show up the price? So is it a fudge today or is it a genuine number that takes product out of the system? Um, I, look, this is always about the price, isn't it, for OPEC as much as they might you know, try and put a gloss on it in other senses. You've got a window that's closing, we know. And it's, it's going to take a little while to close, but it's the window that is closing because the rest of the world is now speeding up its intention. We'll see whether that happens in terms of spending. But verbally is saying the only way to reduce our dependence on oil uh, countries 
is to um, promote renewable, right? So that is the plan, that is the intention. It's been well understood for a long time. The war in Ukraine has only, it seems to me, stiffened the resolve of many Western countries to speed towards that end goal. And it's not just Western countries. I mean, China is also trying to move very quickly in, the, in that direction, as are other large countries. So it, it, it seems to me the backstory to all of this is the macro. It, it's the window closing. And obviously, the Middle Eastern countries and all of the other energy producers um, want to get as much money as they can for the reserves they have available for as long as they can. The, 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 the tricky bit about this is how the markets negotiate it. Because I think as, as you know, we, we've been discussing around the desk, there is desperation for some form of pivot. There is desperation for some evidence that the central banks have done enough and now the economic data is starting to weaken. Don't do the big reveal, we're going to do that next. And they can take their foot off the throat yeah. of the global economy and step back. In a sense, this could hasten that move. It could, but who wants more energy price inflation going into to a recession? Yeah. Nobody. Nobody. Not even the Middle Eastern producers, I would venture, because they realise that the harder you hit the brake here on the global economy, the worse it's going Hold to it. be for longer. Yeah. But for the time being, uh, I think as we've been talking about around the desk here, they are getting concerned about the speed with which the price has declined. And this is a step that they think perhaps will arrest this. But I'm not, I'm not sure that, you know, the answer to demand destruction is supply destruction. Well, call it a coinkydink, but a coincidence for, uh, for those who uh, don't yeah. have small children. Um, but call it a coincidence. But the fact of the matter is, uh, as we've discussed many times, despite all those people out there saying, oh, oil's cheap on an inflation basis compared with 1980. We know that. But every time oil has been above $100 a barrel, it has been a blooming good marker for a recession to follow. Fact. Now, there's two more things we haven't mentioned. I'll do them very quickly because there's some other fascinating stories out there. Genuinely, we've got loads. Um, is the fact that the Saudis are going to struggle to balance their budget uh, when they're selling oil below $90 a barrel, when they're selling it below $100 a barrel potentially as well. So that's the thing to look at, not just the oil price chart, but where these countries can balance their books as well, because that's a real fiscal problem for them with huge aspirations to have a transformation as well. Um, and, and one more point I'm going to raise as well, and I'll slightly disagree with you, just a tiny bit, yeah, not, nothing, no, only at the periphery. You said com countries are accelerating their... Uh, desire to um, not be so reliant on Russia anymore and uh, accelerating their renewables, spot on. But they're also, unfortunately, accelerating all the dirty stuff as well, including RVA talking about the lignite they're going to be burning over the winter as well. Uh, and the Norwegians and all, oh, it's a big one, the Danish is Orsted talking about how they will be looking at other hydrocarbons as well to offset what the Russians are doing. So I agree with you entirely in part that it's, yeah, let's get the more renewables on board, but entirely in part, there you go. Yeah, I, I'm 100% correct 60% of the time. I mean, these, these are emergency measures, aren't they? They're emergency I mean, they, measures, they, but there is spending being attached it. to hydrocarbons that right. wouldn't have been spent otherwise as well. Are you going to yeah. say something? I just wonder whether you want to pick up on the point around politics, because for me, this is an important moment for the Saudis to show some sort of test of loyalty, and that could go what, either to way. to the Americans or to either the Russians? To the, uh, either way, and this is the point. I, mean, I think they'll go latter. I feel as though that there's been efforts to try and repair the relationship and it hasn't progressed very far and if we don't right. see 
any sort of stretching out uh, of an olive branch from the Saudis at this point when the Americans are now going into a difficult winter too. Don't forget a lot of the product has been sent over this side of the world to help out Europe. They are facing potentially higher electricity prices as well as now pump prices going up. Oh, hang, on, the second, hang on a second. Can I just shed a tip? And I, I love my American friends and I, I'd like to say I've got many, many of them. I've worked with from Chicago and other places as well. But truth is, Boo-hoo to their $3.75 AAA average price gasoline. You want to be in my shoes filling up my old bang- banger, I tell you. Not um, good. The, the, the other one, just to, <laughs> just to throw in there, because, um, you know, we all, we all remember the, the, the various um, revolutions uh, that broke out uh, a decade or so ago across the Middle East. I'm sure the Saudis are looking at Iran at the moment and thinking, what the heck? Because we know that there's an intelligent well-educated younger generation in that country as well must be looking at Iran thinking we don't want any of this did you see that there's so much social media coming I saw these I'm the bravest kids I've ever seen in my life there was a load of schoolgirls who without their headdresses on and would just basically just saw off the school's inspector like a really serious Iranian official they just saw him off and I, I thought I could not believe the bravery of these young women it was just it was awe-inspiring. Um, let's move on. We, got, we have got two massive stories. Jeff's going to do my read on one of them. Damn him. Uh, the Biden administration has said it will not release more oil from emergency stockpiles despite the expected production cuts from OPEC+. Plus. The White House is, however, reportedly considering limiting fuel exports to lower consumer price. What's that saying? To lower consumer prices? I don't know what that meant. Uh, US oil trade groups, oh, to lower them as opposed to, not as opposed to, to lower consumer prices. Okay, well, fuel exports, comma, to lower <laughs> consumer prices. Oh, how is your grammar? Uh, better than this. <laughs> That's for sure. US, US oil trade groups. There we go. We find humour in all kinds of rubbish. Uh, US oil trade groups have raised, quote, significant concerns about the potential move, according to Reuters. Oh, well, you've got it. And, job you know, openings. I love a job uh, opening US job openings fell to their lowest since June last year, according to the latest JOLT survey. The number of available positions fell to 2.1 million in the month of August, pointing to slowing demand in the labour market. That is still 10.1 million. Yeah, that which is, is still, still roughly double the number of people looking um, for jobs. Out of work. Uh, San Francisco Fed President Mary Daly says there is a lot of room for the central bank to keep lifting interest rates until inflation is under control. Daly added that the Fed has all the tools it needs to combat rising prices and will try to deploy them in a, quote, gentle way. This after policymakers signalled they would be prepared to take rates to 4.6% next year as price pressures and higher energy costs continue to weigh on the US economy. And here's the let out, it seems to me, for these Fed policymakers. They can, I think, legitimately argue that they just continue doing what they do and one way or another inflation will come down whether it's supply side or whether it's about demand destruction so i get i guess they in a sense they get a free swing of the bat on this one yes and and that's the question is inflation going to fall because of what those central bankers are doing or in spite of what the central bankers are doing Oh, that's a great question for our guests. Okay, I'll do the US markets really quick. I promise I'll try and do them quickly as well. You know what I'm like, can't stop myself. Uh, Big, big rally. Goldman Sachs was like 100 points of the Dow rally. Why did it rally? I think Jeff's Jolts read is where it's at as well. Yay, they said. We have lost, what is it? 1.2. 
1.1 million job openings. We've lost those in the last month. And I think that's what the market wanted. I've got to be honest with you. That's why I, I love looking at the jolts because I find, find it fascinating. Jeff's spot on. There's still shed loads uh, of jobs available out there considering the unemployment rate. But the fact of the matter is the fact that it came off so aggressively more than expected. I think that's what got the market excited amongst other things as well. So yeah, we've got recession, we can buy the market. Yeah, I know it's a funny one, isn't it? But anyway, we'll, we'll move on from that at the moment. But yeah, bad data at the moment equals that stunning two-day rally. Uh, actually, the Dow's now out of bear market territory, just about. Should we have a look at the treasuries? What did that do to the yields? Yeah, they came off a bit. Look, 3.63 on the 10-year, 4.1, give or take the change, on the two-year. Dollar crosses very briefly. Dollar index had a bit of a drubbing. Uh, let me have a look. I've got it here somewhere. Yeah, it was one of its worst days uh, we've seen for a very, very long time. But down 1.4%, worst day since mid-June, but still up 15% year to date. Uh, there you can see. Look at the... Hang on a second. Hang on a second. I know I was going to move quickly. Where's parity gone? Didn't we have a load of... Geniuses. I love geniuses, but we get so many of them coming through. I thought we had a, thousands of people telling us that parity was going to happen. A load of people who never even look at economics told us that parity was almost a dead cert. Mm, oh, well, here we go. Uh, Euro dollars near parity. Maybe that's what they meant. <laughs> Let's have a look at the Asian markets ex China. Um, they're coming. It's a big surprise to the team. They put it there for me. <laughs> look at the Hang Sang. Whoa. I haven't seen a 5.5er to the upside for a very long time. Huge rally. We mentioned HSBC. That's one of the stocks moving to the upside. Right, producer prices, Karen. Let's take a look at some of the numbers. Uh, producer prices across the Eurozone surged at their fastest pace on record in August, jumping over 43% on an annual basis. Energy prices were the biggest driver behind the figure as countries continue to grapple with spiking gas and electricity costs. However, price pressures excluding energy showed a decline. Coming up on the show, Elon Musk says he's pushing ahead with the original Twitter takeover bid, sending shares in the social media group surging. We'll discuss next. Ambition to me is about doing better. I think ambition creates a pathway. The best advice I can give someone starting off a career is don't have a career, have lots of careers, try loads of different things. Talk to people and put your ambition out there. I don't feel that I've hit peak ambition because it's a learning journey. CNBC is where ambition meets opportunity. What does living ambitiously mean to you? Hear it from our CNBC anchors, reporters and global business leaders on CNBC.com. Elon Musk is now going ahead with his takeover of Twitter at the original offer price of $54.20 per share. The surprise announcement sent shares in the social media group sharply higher, closing up by more than 22%. CNBC sources say the deal could close as soon as this Friday. The two sides had been set to go to trial with Musk alleging Twitter had misled him over the number of bots on the service. However, in a letter, Musk's lawyers said he would now go ahead with the transaction, subject to the banks led by Morgan Stanley, putting up the necessary debt financing. 
Arjun joins us around the set for more. Arjun, nice to see you in person and at the set today. But uh, this has been a long-running saga now. I was just looking at uh, the comments from the chairman, Brett Taylor. He was playing it straight, of course, and we've seen it do, him do that over the course of time. I think they're just hoping that this closes without a further hiccup. Yeah, and my take on it is, and I think you know, Steve has flagged this many times, uh, Elon Musk ha felt he's overpaid for this. He put in that 54-20 bid. It was a lot. The markets went down. Uh, and then he was backed into a corner somewhat because Twitter, uh, he tried to get out of the deal. Twitter uh, then sued him. And they were going towards this court case, which was set to be heard this month. But uh, you know, many observers said, well, he didn't really have a leg to stand on going into this court case. If he did walk away to the, from this deal, there would have been billions of dollars in breakup fees. And perhaps the easier option for Elon Musk at this point was to just go ahead uh, and buy Twitter. And that's sort of what we've seen. Uh, I expected a settlement. This is a settlement in kind at this point. Um, it seems like it's going over to the line in the, because Twitter shareholders have already agreed on it. But there is always, of course, with Elon Musk and any Elon Musk drama, that small percentage, even though it may seem finalized, uh, which could come crashing down at this point. Remember, he did announce backers when he first announced the deal. There were a number of high-profile backers in this who, who gave their money. We haven't heard from them yet uh, on this latest sort of revival of the deal. Um, but certainly uh, with Twitter shareholders on board, that's a big hurdle out the way. Now it just comes down to effectively what the final financing terms look like this uh, and whether they get it over the line. I, I, just, I, I was wrong. Unambiguously. I, 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 from the day one, as you know, day one said, I don't believe this deal will ever happen at $50.20. So I will say, hands up, <sighs> if it happens, I was wrong. Mm. But it doesn't mean to say it's a, a deal that he can A, finance, and B, make money out of as well. There's some great copy out there as well. And I'm looking at the Wall Street Journal piece. Now I'm sure we've got similar that you've been doing on CNBC, so apologies if that. But, but the, the market has fallen. Facebook, Google, Snapchat have fallen average 34% since the Twitter deal was announced, yeah? Uh, and on, based on that, it would now be a 30, in fact, 30 bucks price, roughly, that he should be paying now. Is this the worst deal since the, the, the peak of the dot-com boom? Or is this man, who is a genius in some sectors, and I take my hat off to what he's done in electric vehicles as well, is he able to do something that most of us who look at most financial deals find almost impossible to believe he can. Yeah, well, look, we know Mr. Musk it has had some successful company. We've seen what he's been doing at Tesla, uh, and we know he has that vision. And that's why you saw a lot of high-profile backers come and back this deal from the start. The problem with Twitter is, for years, it struggled in monetizing its user base and growing that user base and figuring out how to diversify its revenue beyond just advertising. Now, Elon Musk has spoken about some of the ideas for the platform. He's, told, he's spoken about the fact that he feels like free speech is restricted on the platform, that that needs to open up. He's spoken about he, the fact that he wants a billion people uh, to use the platform eventually. And, and just a few hours ago, he tweeted that he wants Twitter to become the everything app. Is it the X, 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 X for everything? And one, one of the interesting things with that, just a, a quick side point, is Elon Musk has, has sort of laid out his admiration for WeChat, uh, a, a, an app in China which has over a billion users, which is actually the everything app. It's ubiquitous. People use WeChat every day. And perhaps the Chinese authorities monitor everything on WeChat? Uh, there is a lot of censorship that does happen okay. on WeChat, which so, is quite... So he wants it to be the beacon of free speech for the Western world, 
but he doesn't want censorship, but he does want it to be like WeChat. I think his, his point is less on, on that censorship front, oh, but okay, more so on the not, apps. Not on the inconvenient bits of what you just Not said. on that. Got it. Yeah, not on those bits. But certainly when you look at uh, the WeChat model, this is an app that has everything in it. Without you don't the need censorship. To go with it. Without the censorship. Got it. Um, that is something certainly that he might be looking at things beyond advertising as well, cleaning up the bots. He's got a big task to do at this point, and it's unclear if, if Twitter, as it stands, is, is sort of the, a, a way that he can turn it around. Pro probably less in your wheelhouse, but something that we obviously need to talk about is how does this gum up the corporate debt market? Because we, we many, many of the, 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 the pieces that we've been reading make very interesting points about the challenge now that the banks may have in syndicating this debt onto other uh, borrowers and, and and the point is or lenders rather the point is here that you know if you are involved in a deal of this size you look to spread your risk by finding other parties to take on board that paper so that you spread across the market the the, the potential risk if if there are any problems down the road here now these these banks uh, are on the hook for the financing one assumes I haven't seen the terms of the arrangement but we've heard nothing to suggest that uh, what is it Morgan Stanley and the team of banks that um, they have organized for the debt financing nothing to tell us at this point that the original 12 and a half billion dollar package is going to be removed or is going to be changed in any sense are you hearing anything about that no, nothing at this point jeff and that's that's a great point because if those original debt financing deals do uh continue it's going to be difficult and we saw i mean just recently citrix uh that takeover from vista and and, and elliott management as well the bank struggled to offload the debt for that deal they're sitting uh, with a lot of that deal debt still on the books and i think the difference with twitter is we've gone through this whole saga can investors buying this debt trust elon musk and i think elon musk ultimately that cult of personality is going to come down uh, it's going to come down to that, whether the banks can shift this debt, whether the uh, investors uh, have appetite for the debt for this particular deal, given Musk is involved in what we've seen so far. Um, it's, a, it's a big question given the state of the markets right now. Uh, but I think ultimately, whether uh, there's an appetite for this will ultimately come down to, to Elon Musk and the cult of personality, as it has done through this whole process. I just want to weigh in on this because there's a lot of annoyed people, obviously at the board, incredibly annoyed about the whole process. Some of the Twitter workers who may not want this to take over to proceed and everything that's transpired, advertisers uh, with the company, and of course now bankers. And nobody wants to annoy the bankers. And as you flesh out what we're talking about here in terms of these buyout loans, don't forget, we just wrapped up reporting season where we saw the banks tally up a billion dollars worth of losses. This is bigger than everything that's transpired before. And we know that debt markets are slightly dysfunctional at the moment. So we talk about that portion, 11.75% the interest rate, 15% in today's market. So there's quite a gap on a very large portion of debt that they could be exposed to as we talk about the banks. So uh, what would be coming in the following quarters for the banks if this one doesn't get away? No one wants to annoy the Can bankers. Can I add that to your question and then he's going to answer all of it. Uh, what happens to Tesla shares? Well, we saw a, we saw a little bump in the Tesla shares uh, to start with. To but yeah, that's the question. We don't know yet. Didn't Cathy Wood um, buy a few more? <clears throat> she did on that. How's day. that working she out? She did, yeah. Well, that's all right at the moment. I think she's just about on side for once. Oh. Tesla is another complete story. Is it a demand problem? Is it a supply chain issue? Oh, you've asked so many questions. Look, you come There's around so the desk things. and suddenly you want to stay. I'm asking you. You can stay as long as you like. I'll be back. Is that really a green suit? I'm colorblind. Really it's yeah. lovely. Yeah. You look great. It's got little look, stars you know, you're, 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 you know, you're in great company. It's only him and Charles Evans we've had back around the guest. Down at the desk, I mean. It's been a long time. So uh, you and the since. FOMC member, look yeah. at you. How are you? 
I'm good. Yeah, it's nice to be. Well, it's back nice here. to have to shout at you at camera eleven. Yeah, that's good. Um, <laughs> some, somebody, uh, one of our viewers, said that it looks like a, a 1970s TV studio that I'm in. What? But, oh. yeah, I know that really? was mean. Did they, they that was work very for the mean. opposition. Yeah, pa perhaps. Uh, <laughs> still, still to cut the program. Do we have an opposition? Apparently. We've got to go. Arjun, thank you so much for that. Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For more market-moving news, you can head to cnbc.com. Or join us again on the show with Jeff Cutmore, Steve Sedgwick and Karen Show Weekdays on CNBC.